Welcome to Broken But Not Divided with Andrew Youssef. This is a listener-supported production of Humanity Vivified. To learn more about Humanity Vivified, please visit www.andrewyusuf.ca. So welcome to the second episode on COVID-19 vaccines. They have been a topic of debate among many for quite a while now. And I will start with a disclaimer that I know very, very little about science. And I'm pretty sure you guessed that since you probably looked at the title of the episode. Um, Yeah, I really don't know much about science. The last science class I took was more than seven years ago, and I'm not going to disclose the grade I got on that class because it's embarrassing. Um, So I'm talking strictly from a theological perspective here. Now, there are two aspects of COVID-19 vaccines that I hope to shed some light on today. First is the use of fetal tissues in testing, which stopped many religious people from actually taking the vaccine. And the second one is the mandating of the vaccine, which also has been off-putting for many people. And as always, these are controversial topics, so you can go ahead and disagree with me if you don't like my evaluation of these aspects of the vaccines. I'm merely sharing with you an alternative way of thinking, which you can totally discard if you wish to do so. So let us begin with the question of the use of fetal tissues for testing the vaccine. The argument of those opposed to the vaccine because of being tested on fetal tissues, which are harvested from aborted fetuses, runs something like that. That because the church condemns abortion, because she upholds the intrinsic value of human life from conception, that the church would be equally opposed to the use of the consequences of the sin of abortion. Now, two important things here. One, when I say church, I'm talking about the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church, talking about the more traditional churches that actually condemn abortion. And I'm also trying to give you a very simplistic idea of how this logic runs. Now, the issue with this line of thinking is both theological as it is practical. So to begin with the theological perspective, let us go ahead and clear up the fact that the fathers of the church condemned abortion in unapologetic terms. You can't turn it around. And you can't play around with it because what they said is quite straightforward. The only exception is if the mother's life is in direct danger. That is, if the abortion does not happen, she is at a risk of imminent death. It is not one of those things which are really that open for interpretation at all. Another important note is that we have nothing from the fathers that speaks to organ donation. But we know that we are called to give up our lives for those whom we love, as this is the greatest form of love. Therefore, if we follow in the footsteps of our Lord, who gave up his body on the cross for the life of the world, it would make sense for us to give up our bodies for many, and if that is not feasible, then at least we can give directives so that our body may be used to save others' lives after we no longer use this body. As such, you would probably fail to find a single Eastern Christian theologian objecting to organ donation. That being said, many times, those whose organs are harvested for donation are the victims of murderous accidents. Sometimes such accidents are the result of a drunk driver killing someone whose organs end up being used. Yet we find no one in good conscience saying that the church agreeing to have organs donated is effectively the church accepting, or even worse, encouraging, the reckless behavior of drunk drivers. This would be utterly ridiculous. So how come 
We are making the argument that the church accepting the use of a vaccine that happened to use fetal tissues for testing or manufacturing is in fact the church accepting the sin of abortion. Some would argue the reason for their objection to use such vaccines is that while I have the capacity to donate my organs, this fetus had no capacity to accept or reject the abortion, let alone the donation of their cells. And while this objection is reasonable, it is quite ironic, given the fact that those bringing forth this objection are the very same Christians who see no problem baptizing their infants and communing them on account of their parents' faith. Now, of course, there is no comparison between the blessing of baptism and the sin of abortion, but the point I'm making here is that there is room for us to understand the involvement of parents in their children's lives, even if we do not exactly approve of their action. I am certain there are parents out there who look at Jewish parents as abusive for circumcising their children, or look at Christian parents as abusive for introducing their children with Christian values, forcing them to be baptized and sometimes commune them. That might be seen by some as a form of indoctrination. But at the end of the day, the responsibility falls on the shoulder of parents or guardians, whether we like it or not. This is simply how life works, and we can't change that. Because life is not always providing us with the most optimal of situations, I'd like to invite you to listen to the previous episode where I talk about how God makes the most wicked of situations an opportunity for something positive to come forth. It was wicked for Herod to murder the children of Bethlehem, but in a way, they were sacrificed that Christ might be protected and that the church today celebrates them as martyrs despite them not having the capacity to consent to protect Jesus or be his scapegoats in a way to be spared the death sentence of Herod. What I'm really saying is they couldn't really choose whether they would die or not, and they were never actually asked about anything, but they happened to die that way, yet the church continues to celebrate them as martyrs. We celebrate the death of many martyrs as well, not that we accept the sin of murder, but that we celebrate their sacrifice for the sake of Christ. Again, this celebration does not amount to us saying, yeah, murder is fine, God forbid. Once again, are we not to walk in the footsteps of God and the church and make the most out of a situation we find ourselves in for the greater good? The fact is aborted fetuses cannot go back in time and have a chance at life. So could we not at least use their cells to protect more lives from being lost? I will conclude the theological aspect of the abortion issue with the vaccine uh, by a summary provided by the committee from the Catholic Church that was entrusted with dealing with the question of using fetal tissues in the manufacturing of the rubella and measles vaccine. Before I share with you this summary, I want to point out two things. First, the Orthodox Church is far more open to discussion on bioethical issues than the Catholic Church. So, the Catholic Church tends to be more conservative in its approach, which barely allows for a discussion or kind of a discussion of economia or the concession made for the greater good, that is not as open in the Catholic Church as it might be in most Orthodox jurisdictions. The second thing I want to point out is that the original summary had Latin phrases here and there, so I simplified the language and omitted the Latin parts, but will leave you with a link in the description for the original document so you could read it and you could read the full line of reasoning, but... I will just give you the summary for now, all in English. It begins with, 1. There is a grave responsibility 
to use alternative vaccines and to make a conscientious objection with regard to those which have moral problems. 2. As regards the vaccine, without an alternative, the need to contest so that others may be prepared must be affirmed, as should be the lawfulness of using the former in the meantime in so much as is necessary in order to avoid a serious risk not only for one's own children but also and perhaps more specifically for the health conditions of the population as a whole, especially for pregnant women. 3. The lawfulness of the use of these vaccines should not be misinterpreted as a declaration of the lawfulness of their production, marketing, and use, but is to be understood as being a passive material cooperation and in its mildest and remotest sense also active, morally justified as an extreme measure due to the necessity to provide for the good of one's children and of the people who come in contact with the children including pregnant women. 4. Such cooperation occurs in a context of moral coercion of the conscience of parents, who are forced to choose to act against their conscience or otherwise, to put the health of their children and of the population as a whole at risk. This is an unjust alternative choice, which must be eliminated as soon as possible. End quote. Fun fact, one of the people that were entrusted with writing or drafting this statement uh, was Cardinal Ratzinger, who would later become Pope uh, Benedict. Now, aside from these theological reasons that might or might not convince you, I want you to realize how unpractical this line of thinking is. You have already taken measles vaccine, among other vaccine that use fetal tissues, such as hepatitis A and varsola. You probably have taken more than a few Tylenols in your lifetime, and I would like to break it to you. All of these use fetal tissues for testing and manufacturing purposes. I hope that hearing this makes you reconsider your position on the vaccine testing and manufacturing process. If it does not, remember the words of Christ on the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or kill? Mark 3, verse 4. By the way, this concept continues to be upheld by the Jews under the name of Bukash Nefesh, which is the permission to break the law for the sake of preservation of life, because life is more important than the law. Now, if we as Christians believe that Christ is our Passover and the fulfiller of the law, we are obliged to live the spirit of the law every day, not just the Sabbath. And the spirit of the law is to have life and have it more abundantly. And sometimes this entails a sad but necessary prioritization. The life of the fetus has been sadly already lost. So let us harvest whatever life may come from it for the sake of the greater good. Before I get into the mandating of the vaccine in many places in the world, let me state that I'm doubly vaccinated against COVID-19. My immunization records are complete and I'm by no means an anti-vaxxer. So here are my biases from the get-go. Despite that, I must say that as an Orthodox Christian and as an instructor of church history in Orthodox seminaries, I'm compelled to say this does not sit well with me at all. Those who know anything about Eastern Christian history in general, and Orthodox history in particular, should probably have red alerts going on in the back of their minds right now. There was no time when there was a loss of freedom and enforcement of mandates of any sort, or the Church prospered to the extent that it could. Whenever freedom is lost, our capacity to choose is diminished. 
And when our capacity for choice is diminished, we can easily be manipulated to choose as per the wishes of those controlling us. But you and I are on the image of God, and that comes with a God-given right and capacity to choose. And a right given by God ought not to be taken by a human being. I would love it if we are all vaccinated, unless we have a reason not to, of course, and put this pandemic behind us, but I would not love for it to be forced on anyone against their freedom of conscience. I wonder how much we have learned from history, seeing that many of us are totally okay with our freedom of choice being stripped from us before our own eyes. Some will wonder, will people choose evil occasionally if given the freedom? Well, yes. But will anyone be truly good if they are only doing the good because they are forced to do so with no freedom to choose? The said answer is, probably not. I know there will be many arguments against what I am saying right now. I know some of them will be incredibly intelligent, but I cannot help but be worried about the state of affairs and the willingness of many to waive their right to choose the moment the government appears. I'm not saying do not trust the government or healthcare workers. I'm saying do not blindly trust anyone who's trying to force you to do anything, even if it is for your own good. If you choose to do the good, let your God, your faith, your love for your neighbor and your conscience be the guides of your choice and nothing else. I will conclude by two quotes by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who lived through the camps of communist Russia, through torture, through persecution, and through imprisonment. The context of the first quote is him sarcastically speaking about the pseudo-freedom of North American society. He says, Freedom, to fill people's mailboxes, eyes, ears, and brains with commercial rubbish against their will, television programs that are impossible to watch with a sense of coherence. Freedom, to force the information on people, taking no account of their right not to accept it or their right of peace of mind. Freedom, to spit in the eyes and souls of passers-by with advertisements. End quote. The second quote needs no explanation, as he simply asks, should one point out that from ancient times, decline in courage has been considered the beginning of the end. Brothers and sisters, may we live in the freedom Christ granted us, the freedom to search for the truth, discern what is right, love our neighbor, and give ourselves up for the life of the world as our Savior did. Consider rating this episode on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until the next episode, Christ is risen. Thank you.